Well, it began with the sequester, moved to the partial shutdown, and then brought on worries about default. Now we discover that in order to meet the coverage requirement of the Affordable Health Care Act, including maternity for everyone, regardless of age or gender, monthly insurance rates for the middle class are going through the roof. Well, the financial problems we're facing as a nation today make more than just the markets a little jittery. Many in our country feel, as did the Apostle Paul when he left Athens and arrived in Corinth. Writing of his feelings some years later, he said, I came to you in weakness and fear with much trembling. And he had good reason for trembling. His ministry in Macedonia and Achaia hadn't been a smashing success. He did leave behind believers in, in every city in which he ministered, but he had been beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, had been run out of Thessalonica, and the church had to post bond assuring that he wouldn't return. The saints in Berea had to sneak him out of town and escorted him to the safety of Athens. And he hadn't exactly wowed the philosophers in Athens. Now, his limited success was probably even harder to accept in light of the fact that a vision from God had directed him to Macedonia. No doubt he expected great things to happen, but they didn't. So he arrives in Corinth feeling pretty low. In fact, he's in the pits. He comes in weakness, fear, with much trembling. He's definitely in need of, of encouragement and assurances about the future, as are we. Well, let's see if he got it, and if he did, where it came from. Because maybe we can find it too, if we look in the same places. As we move into the 18th chapter of Acts, we do sense things are going to get better for Paul because he finds companionship in Corinth. Continuing our study, Acts 18, verses 1 through 4. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. And they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath, and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Paul left Athens, he apparently traveled alone some 45 miles to Corinth, the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. Now, Corinth was located on a narrow strip of land that connected the Greek mainland with the Peloponnesian Peninsula. It was a very strategic location because all land travel had to funnel through it, and it was a seaport on both the east 
and the west. In fact, to avoid the dangerous journey around the peninsula, most ships would either unload at Corinth and have cargo carried to the other port, or if the ships were small enough, they would actually drag them on wooden rollers, the three and a half miles between ports. Now, as a result, it became a major commercial center at one time numbering 200,000 freemen and 500,000 slaves. The slaves being used to haul cargo and ships across land while sailors enjoyed shore leave in a city of wealth, luxury, and immorality of every kind. Well, it was to this city that Paul came alone, in weakness, fear, and with much trembling. But he did come. He wasn't paralyzed by fear. When he arrived, his first priority was simply to make a living. His resources had been depleted, so he fell back on the trade that he had acquired as a young man, a tent maker or leather worker. Apparently, he sought employment and providentially found Aquila and Priscilla. They were a Jewish couple who had been deported from Rome when Claudius ordered all the Jews out for their continual agitation about an individual whose name was recorded as Crestus, but was no doubt Christ Jesus. Well, it appears that Aquila and Priscilla were Christians when Paul found them because no mention is made of their conversion. And in them, Paul found more than employment. He found companionship. He lived with them. He worked with them. He went to the synagogue with them, and together, no doubt, they reasoned with the Jews and Greeks concerning the Messiahship of Jesus. And this companionship surely raised Paul's spirits considerably. He wasn't alone anymore. He had someone to share his life and his faith with. He had fellowship. And he surely found encouragement in that. Encouragement to face each day and the challenges it brought because he was not standing alone. He had friends. And he had support. Support that would soon broaden. Let's read on. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From now on, I shall go to the Gentiles. But no doubt Paul was encouraged by the arrival of Silas and Timothy. He had left them behind in Berea when he had gone to Athens, but had sent for them to come when the Bereans returned home. Well, apparently Timothy had been able to come, but Paul quickly sent him back to Thessalonica because of concerns he had for the Christians there. But now they both come to Paul and brought encouraging reports from the churches in Macedonia, reports that helped rid Paul of some of the anxiety that was weighing him down. He spoke of Timothy's report and its effect in his first letter to the Thessalonians. 
He said, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I also set out to find about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Paul was encouraged by the emotional support that Silas and Timothy brought. But he was also encouraged by something else that they brought. For they brought financial support that enabled Paul to devote himself completely to preaching and teaching. Now the Philippians sent funds to him more than once and since he was able to give up tent making in Corinth after the arrival of Silas and Timothy, I think it's safe to assume that they had sent him support at this time. Now, Paul made a point of not taking money from the Corinthians while he was there. Apparently, it was his policy to not take support from a city to which he had come to avoid appearances of being a charlatan who was peddling his teaching but he gratefully received support from the churches once he had gone to another field, and that appears to be the case here. So Paul now had companionship in Aquila and Priscilla and his faithful co-workers, Silas and Timothy. And he had emotional and financial support from the churches he had founded in Macedonia. And that gave him the encouragement needed to aggressively preach the gospel and to face the rejection that comes from faithfully preaching it. When the Jews in the synagogue resisted his message and began to blaspheme, he simply shook out his garment and said, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean, no blood on my hands. From now on I shall go to the Gentiles. Can't you see him finishing his sermon and, and as they began to, to show the rejection of his message, just shaking his robes and saying, I'm done with you. He had preached faithfully. He had made the message plain. Now they were responsible for what they did with it. He, like Ezekiel, had been a watchman at the gate. And he had shouted the warning, Now it was on their heads. Paul was strong enough now to make such a stand. It's hard. But he had the strength. And he could handle a momentary setback. He could handle the rejection aggressively. But then he was going to be encouraged even further by some great success. Verses 7 and 8. And he departed from there, from the synagogue, and went to the house of a certain man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. 
When he left the synagogue, Paul didn't have to go far. He was welcomed in a house next door. Titius Justus, a Gentile worshiper of God, lived next door to the synagogue, and he invited Paul to use his house as a base of operation for preaching and teaching to the Jews and Gentiles who would just happen to be in the neighborhood. Now, Titius was not only hospitable, he was also a believer. Most commentaries believe his full name was Gaius Titius Justus, and that he's the Gaius mentioned in 1 Corinthians as having been personally baptized by Paul, along with Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. Now, these were significant advances for Paul and seemed to have led to a, a fruitful ministry for him because many of the Corinthians were now believing and being baptized. Paul was succeeding and seeing results. And that, of course, is very encouraging for a minister. But it does also bring the potential for new problems. Now, years ago, a preacher from a large church told a gathering of preachers, you guys with smaller churches think preachers of larger churches have it made. But let me tell you, with more people come more problems. Do I hear an amen to that? I do. Okay. Now, that may seem a little pessimistic. You know, we all want growth. We all want lots of people. But with people come problems. And... Uh, Paul was going to have to deal with that. Not only individuals who brought baggage into the church, he also had a reason to be anxious about success because the Jews became jealous whenever he was successful. And they opposed him all the more. Attacks always came on the heels of victory. And apparently, Paul started getting a little gun-shy. And he needed a special encouragement that only the Lord himself could provide. This is cool. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city and he settled there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. You know, Paul was being encouraged from many different areas. But what he needed most was to know that the Lord was with him. And the Lord provided him that assurance in a very special way. He spoke to Paul in a vision at night. Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Apparently, Paul had backed off. So the Lord said, go on speaking. I'm with you. And then he added, no man will attack you to harm you. Apparently, Paul was afraid of getting hurt again. And who would blame him? You know, we tend to assume that Paul was superhuman, without fear. That's not true. 
He didn't like beatings and stonings any more than we would. And the Lord knew Paul's limits and promised a reprieve from physical harm. No one would harm him physically in Corinth. That was good news. That was good news to Paul. And then the Lord added that he had many people in the city. Apparently, a statement that was made from the Lord's foreknowledge because he knew in Corinth many would respond to the gospel and Paul's labors would not be in vain. Paul needed to know that. He worried about churches when he left. Would they be faithful? Would they continue growing in Christ? It weighed on him heavily. He lists that with, with all the, the, the catalog of beatings and, and, and trauma he went through. And actually, I think that was his biggest one. It weighs heavy on your heart when you're afraid that what you've been doing for 40 years is coming back to nothing. That's hard. That's hard. But Paul needed to know that what he was doing was not in vain. And he could keep going if he knew God was with him and would offer protection and would assure results. And God gave him those assurances. Who wouldn't be encouraged by such promises? And guess what? The Lord has given us the same promises. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He promised to be with us to the very end. And he promised to be sensitive to our limits of endurance. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul wrote, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Now, sometimes we use that verse to take away excuses, <laughs> and that's appropriate. I mean, we can't say, I couldn't control myself. We have a promise. Yes, you can. But more than that, it's a promise that God knows, and He understands your limits. And He's there to make sure you can endure. He provides a way out. We've got to be willing to take it. But he says, I'm there. I understand what you're going through. And then, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we're told, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. You know, we don't always see the results of our labors. That's a good thing. If we saw 
all the results, we might start getting a big head and thinking, we did it. So the Lord hides some of that from us. And if we saw a lack of results, we might get depressed, thinking, what am I doing wrong? Why aren't more people responding? Well, Jesus made it very clear that some of us sow, some of us water, but God gives the increase. The results are not up to us. Okay? If we're faithful, he says, I'll make sure that your work is not in vain. We may not know what we've accomplished in the kingdom until we're gathered around the throne and we hear that well done, good and faithful servant. You know, when he says that, I think he's going to do more than just say it. I think he's going to show it. And we're going to celebrate it. That is going to be awesome. We've got the guarantee that what we do for the Lord will not be in vain. We get disappointed with our brothers and sisters all the time. We give up our ministries because we get discouraged. People who say they'll be somewhere don't show up. That's hard to take. People we, we, we encourage to get involved and, and they say, oh yeah, I'll do it, and then they don't do it. That's discouraging. And not just for the preacher. All of you who are involved in ministry in the church have experienced that. And it's hard to take. You begin to think, what's the point? The point is you're doing it for the Lord. And he has promised results. Somebody's going to be blessed by what you do. And if nothing else, Christ will be honored. And what more do you need than that? Our labor is not in vain. We don't need to worry about the future. If you're frightened by the future, concentrate on the things of God and you'll be able to face the future with confidence. After all, he promised if we would make his kingdom our first priority, he would see to it that all things are cared for. If we'll put his spiritual agenda first in our life, he will make sure our material needs are met. He's been faithful to that. And he will continue to do that. And if you're discouraged, you feel alone, surround yourself with believers. That's why we gather together. That's why we offer opportunities for for small group interaction. That's why we have classes. That's why we sit in a circle and ask questions. And that's why we worship together and pray together. You need the encouragement of your brothers and sisters. Get actively involved in the body of Christ and support one another emotionally. And if need be, financially. And be willing to accept financial support if you need it. That's why we have become a body. And as we're doing what we're supposed to do, don't let temporary setbacks get us off course. Don't let them overwhelm us. Be like Paul who says, okay, I did what I can do. 
Don't carry that burden with you always, thinking, oh, I must have failed somebody. There comes a point, it seems unkind, but there comes a point when you have to just go, I tried. I did everything I could. Now, again, that's, that may seem cold and hard, but we have to do it if we're going to meet someone else's needs. If we get destroyed by what appears to be a failure in someone's life, we'll give up. There comes a point. Now, it doesn't mean we quit praying for people or we start despising people or we slam the door in their face. No. But it means we say, okay, I've done what I can. Lord, send somebody else into their life or send them to another church and let them help them there. You know, we're all part of the kingdom. It's not all dependent upon what I do or you do when someone's in the kingdom. Trust that God will do what needs to be done. Don't let temporary setbacks and discouragement overwhelm you. Focus on the successes that do come, the victories that God gives. What a joy it is when someone says, I'm ready to follow Jesus. You know, I've, I've been hearing that message for 20 years, and it didn't sink in, but wow, I got it now. Okay. <laughs> Don't say, what went wrong for 20 years? No. Well, there I go again, doing a little sigh action. No. <laughs> Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Focus on the victories. Focus on the successes. Focus on the changes that you see God bringing in people's lives. That'll bring you joy. Believing. When he says he's with us, he'll not forsake us, and he will accomplish his will through us. And in these trying times, I admit I bordered into political whatever this morning, Never forget that our security is not dependent upon the government. It's dependent upon the Lord. And he's promised to meet our needs. There's a lot of uncertainty in what's taking place, shifts that are taking place with the government in our lives. And it's awful easy to get really discouraged Our security doesn't come from Uncle Sam. Our security comes from our Heavenly Father. Okay? Trust Him. Trust Him. We'll not be frightened by any fear of the future if we'll have faith and confidence in our Lord. There's no need for trembling if you surrender your all Amen? Amen? Let's stand.